Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for worshiping with us today. As talk this week came out about reopening and, and just government announcements were coming out, we beginning to get excited about getting to worship together in person. And um, we're excited about that. Hopefully you're starting to hear some information. Uh, we want to make sure that you're connected to us via email, via social media. Uh, let us know how we can stay in touch with you. We're going to be continually just putting out information to you, giving you updates on dates and details of kind of our plans of how we're going to re- enter the re- opening process as a church and so we want to make sure that you're excited about that we're excited about that and just leaning in and asking the Lord to bring us together and longing for the day when uh, we get to do this in person Um, it's going to be a really fun day so let me pray to that end Heavenly Father I pray that you would continue to bring about healing in our country, that you continue to to bring about uh, just freedom from this virus. Father, that you continue to be with our healthcare officials and our government officials as they lead out in this kind of frontline part of the battle. And Father, I pray for us, just as the people of God, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us grace for one another? Father, there is no perfect plan uh, that that we could roll out. And so, Father, I pray for people on both sides, just those who are ready to charge in and be together immediately, and those that are saying, oh, let's tap the brakes just a little bit. Father, would you give us much grace for one another? Father, would you help us to love one another well? And and Father, just to to long for a day when we can be together in unity, when we can rejoice joyce together we can worship you together and uh, father we we want that day and we're asking you to bring that day about sooner rather than later and give us wisdom uh, to navigate the days in between now and then and and all the days in advance of that father there's much work to be done our mission has not changed father our salvation in christ has not changed the the hope that we have in christ for our future has not changed and so father we're confident and and we we press on in in the things of your kingdom and, and Father, just ask that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, not long ago, I was telling my boys about an old boxing match from between Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield, and uh, taking you sort of back a little bit to crazy time, Mike Tyson had risen on the scene and was just throttling people right and left, but this particular boxing match was famous, maybe infamous, uh, because of a particular event that happened in the middle of that fight, which is that Mike Tyson, in the middle of kind of a scrum as they were wrestling together there in the, mid- in the fight, um, actually bit off a chunk of Evander Holyfield's ear. And I was telling my kids about that, so we got out and Googled it and found some nasty YouTube of that entire scene. And the thing that struck me as I kind of reflected on the scene and my kids were unpacking it was I was watching uh, the referee in the middle of that fight and thinking and I would not want to be that guy. I promise you there's nothing in the boxing manual that says what you're supposed to do when one of the boxers starts to cannibalize the other guy in the middle of the ring. And as I thought about that, I just had sympathy for this guy thinking, how do you navigate that in the middle of the aftermath 
And it was wild to watch. Holyfield's obviously furious. Uh, Mike Tyson's defiant. And these two are still going at each other. And he's got to figure out how to navigate it. And here's why I bring that up today. Uh, if you remember last week, what we talked about was David. David was coming unglued. He was about to kind of go Mike Tyson on someone. And in the middle of that, there, there's going to be a woman named Abigail who's going to step in and try to referee between her foolish husband and the foolish acts of King da the future King David. And so that's where we pick up this story. If you would, in your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 25. Uh, last week, uh, we, we talked about David just dealing with his anger. And here he was on the brink of failure, uh, really over a business deal gone wrong. And this week, we're going to see the, the wisdom of a, of a woman named Abigail who's going to step in and try to mediate between, in the middle of the situation, between these two people that are at odds. And, and she's going to stand between the two of them. Now, let me tell you why this is so important for you and me. First, we're going to have to deal with a lot of fools in life. And the hardest fool we have to deal with is actually ourselves. We're going to have to navigate how to deal with the foolishness of this world. Whether you're scanning the, the pages of your Bible, the scanning the pages of a history book, or scanning uh, the comment section of a website, it's obvious that people are foolish. Uh, and you really you can go to any website. Have you been foolish enough to try that? And whether it's sports, politics, religion, or something even meaningless like gardening. I mean, not that gardening's meaningless, but something even seems like it wouldn't be controversial. You get in the comment section, everyone's got hot sports opinions. Everyone's got ideas. And I, I read them and I just think, oh man, we are completely lost. It's only God's grace that keeps any of us off the idiot highway, as I said last week. So as we study this life of David, uh, and we've been in this series for a little while now, David's really thrived. He's done really well. He's continued to make wise decisions. But here, in, in the situation which we looked at here in 1 Samuel 25, what we see is he's on the brink of kind of jumping on the crazy train. And what I want us to understand is that we are oftentimes forgetful. We've got forgetful hearts. And many times it's easy for us to forget who God is and forget all that God has in store for us. And we get fixated on a certain situation and we think we can work it out on our own. Now, it would be silly for in, you and I to pretend that we get it right all the time, that we're any better off than David. David wasn't bulletproof, and neither are we. And so what we're going to see in this chapter is that we need someone, to, David needed someone to come to his help to wake him up and help him see what is real, and we oftentimes need the same thing. And so that's kind of where we are jumping in here today, is just acknowledging that we're going to need some help, help from good people around us and help from our God. So 1 Samuel 25, we're going to start in verse 14. It says, But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master. And he railed at them. And yet the men were very good to us. We suffered no harm. We did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as they were with us. They were there as a wall to us both night and by day. And all the while we were, we, we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this. Consider what you should do. For harm is, is determined against our master and against all his house. And our master is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. 
So you have the, the kind of context of the confrontation that we're talking about here. And it's talking about this man, Nabal. In fact, verse 17, this uh, employee of Nabal says to Nabal's wife, he is such a worthless man, no one can speak to him. Which is why they didn't go to Nabal with the problem. They came straight to Abigail. Because they realized she was the only one that was wise enough to listen and that might be able to actually influence some positive, uh, affect some positive change in this situation. Abigail's an entirely different person from Nabal. Uh, in fact, what you see is she's, this, she's a very wise woman. She's a real leader. Uh, he was so worthless, no one could talk to him. But Abigail was one that they felt like they could talk to. And so this is kind of the, the scenario that this, uh, this passage takes place in. Now let me remind you who these people are. Nabal is married to Abigail and they're, they're mismatched in terms of character. In fact, if you go back to verse 3, what it said was that this woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a hard man and an evil man, but she was, it says that she was very wise. She had good sense and to go along with good looks, but they were a very wealthy family, had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. They were influential in that whole region, uh, lived in one place, worked in another, so they had an effect on the entire area. And David, David and Nabal are business partners. David and his men were protectors of Nabal's property, of his sheep, of his men, and of his people. And in that, David felt like whenever it was time for sheep shearing, that was payday. And it should have been in that time. And so David sent 10 of his young men to go collect the goods from, uh, from Nabal. And that's the... the um, the, the encounter that these young men referenced when they said, look, he came to us and our man, our, he came to our master in order to get paid and he just railed at them. And yet they, they testified to the fact that David and his men were very good men. He says, they always did good for us. They never did us harm. They protected us. We never had a worry when we were in their presence at all. And yet our foolish masters railed against them. In fact, Nabal's name, we said last week, means fool. And he's about to earn that name because uh, he's going to get more than just the wool of a sheep sheared. He's about to get his head sheared off by David. And so that, that tells you kind of the context of this. You've got a business partnership gone bad between David and Nabal. And one of Nabal's employees comes to Abigail to help with the situation. Now, before we get to Abigail, I want to point out something that it might be easy to overlook. Think about this employee that goes and brings this news to Abigail. He actually is a very important part of this story. And let me just give you kind of a bonus lesson to this whole passage. I think it's easy for us sometimes to think we don't make a difference in the world. But think about this. If this guy doesn't step into that space in that moment and speak up and tell Abigail, we never hear about Abigail. We never hear about what happens in the rest of the story. This was a man who was... He was there to do the right thing at the right time, and that really turned the course of this entire episode. He spoke up and set these things in motion. Um, so friends, you need to know that sometimes the entire course of events depends on one act by one person that shows up at just the right time. And God uses faithfulness of all sizes to carry out his plan. So don't, don't ever think that what you do doesn't matter in the moment, because uh, oftentimes God will use those things for good. Now let's turn back to verse 18. And so that's the setup of kind of how we get to, to this place. Let's look at verse 18 and see what Abigail does with this news and how she responds. Verse 18 says, Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five sayas of parched grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs. And she laid them on donkeys. And she said to the young men, Go on before me and behold, I will come after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. 
And as she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, had been overheard saying, surely in vain I've guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned to me evil for good. God, do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. So David is overheard um, just talking about the evil that he's about to wreak and the havoc he's about to wreak on this house of Nabal and all of his household. And David says, man, this guy's done me wrong and I'm going to go get him. So it's that, that's the, the setup and the scenario in which um, Abigail is now going to intervene. So here's what I want us to do today. I want us to look, I want to show you seven good things that we see in Abigail. And then I want to show you one good thing we see in David. So seven good things we see in Abigail. Let's start there. The first thing we see is, the first way Abigail intervenes for good is through her initiative. In fact, it says more than once, Abigail makes haste. It says Abigail hurried. Abigail immediately kind of rolled up her sleeves and got to work. She doesn't waste time bickering with the, the slave to see, or not the slave, but the employee, to see kind of how he, uh, about the, the, the message or the news that he brought. She didn't go berate her husband. She just acts boldly and quickly. What she recognizes is, and there is no plan B. David's coming for blood, and I have to make haste in order to intervene in this situation. That's the only chance we have. And so she, she acts quickly. And you notice how much she got done? This lady can get a, get a lot done fast, right? And we're talking bread, wine, raising, uh, raisins, sheep. She's rolling out all, all these kind of stuff, loading on donkeys and sending it on her way. Um, she just threw a little something together really quickly for David and, you know, his 400 men uh, that, that are showing up. Now, I don't know about you, but those of us that have been in quarantine for a while, are you finding it hard to prepare meals? Are you finding it hard to get anything ready? Uh, you know, we're so used to running home on the way from work, on the way home from work, just swinging by Chick Fil A or Sonic or Hideaway and making something work. And now, uh, most of us have, in a few short weeks, come to the end of a recipe list and trying to invent something new. Uh, you know, we love to cook at my house, but I gotta say, this is pretty impressive, just to make haste and roll out a meal for 400 men and send it on the way almost immediately. Uh, so Abigail, uh, first thing was she took initiative. The, the second thing she did well that we see is her thoughtfulness. Are you familiar with the word hangry? It kind of mashes up the word hungry and angry. And these are 400 hangry men that are showing up with swords that are frustrated with the situation. And she's smart enough to send food ahead before that she has to go and meet them. I mean, who's going to get mad at a woman who sends a really good meal in advance of her appearance? And so that's, that's thoughtfulness. She recognized their immediate need and she met it. She remembered what it was David had asked for when he came to visit Nabal and she sends goods ahead in order to meet that need in advance. Abigail's smart. She is thoughtful in the way in which she does that. I think sometimes the reason we don't get what we want in some of our interactions is because we're thoughtless in the way we do it. We don't consider their needs and what their, uh, the way others are feeling about things in advance of this, but not Abigail. Um, she's very wise in the way she approaches it. And that brings us to the third attribute, which is her wisdom. 
Proverbs 18, 16 says, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. I don't know for sure that Abigail knew this proverb, but she's living it. She's practicing it. She's doing it. She's sending something ahead in order to, to earn favor so that she has room and space to operate. And so there's great wisdom in the way in which she's operating. In fact, it would have been really strange in that day to see in the wilderness an entourage of donkeys loaded with goods just kind of wandering out across the wilderness unprotected. It would have been even stranger to see that group led or that kind of a, an entourage led by a woman. And yet here she is taking, uh, taking care of the problems that her husband had created. Throughout this whole situation, Abigail is, she's a master of the whole situation. She's navigating it with great wisdom. She's, she's leading the way from beginning to end through this entire episode. In fact, she staged this entire encounter. It's like, it's like she's a realtor with an open house that's positioned everything just perfectly and arranged it so that she has the best possible encounter in, uh, whenever she finally meets with David. So then she's going to greet David, and she's going to give what is one of the most eloquent speeches, I think, in all of the Bible. And she didn't, uh, as, as, as a guy who speaks a lot, I have to look at this thing. I mean, she did not have days and weeks to prepare this. This was something she just had to roll with, um, but this was a very, very sharp gal. In verse 23, we see, as we see when she encounters David. It says, when Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey, and she fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young man of the Lord whom you sent. Now then, when my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil be to the Lord, evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will take will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. If men rise up and pursue you to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. In the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done according done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt with you, my Lord, then remember your servant. And I love the way Abigail rolls in this situation and the way she approaches David. You know, when, a, when, a, when a, an employee of a wealthy man calls his boss worthless and his wife agrees with him, you probably got pretty good evidence that this guy's got some problems. And you know that, that Abigail's the one who is going to try to turn this situation around, but you notice she doesn't, that she doesn't hesitate to distance herself from her foolish husband. She immediately agrees with her employee and says, this is a worthless fellow. Uh, Nabal, my foolish husband, is one that foolishness follows after everywhere he goes. 
In Proverbs, a fool is the epitome of evil. In fact, it says foolishness starts with the rejection of the Lord, that, uh, that the fool says in his heart there is no God. So in some ways, she's, she's acknowledging she's married to a godless and foolish man whom she cannot count on to do the right thing. That's why she can't leave the moral direction of her family to this man. She has to step forward and navigate herself. And so uh, it mentions that she doesn't tell Nabal what she's going to do. Uh, I think, you know, some people look at that and say, well, whoa, is this a betrayal of Nabal? Of course not. It really wasn't. She was actually seeking his good when he couldn't seek it for himself. She knew he wouldn't be reasonable. And so she's not working against him. She's literally working to save his life and save the life of his family and all that he has. Now, let me ask you this. If, if she didn't want... If she didn't want his good, wouldn't it have been easier for her just to kind of step aside and say to the 400 men, like, have at it? Like, the, these 400 men coming with swords to attack her husband, if she wanted to get rid of him, the best thing she could have done was to stay out of the scenario. But instead, she intervened. She interceded because she was going to work for his good. Whatever Nabal was, he was still her husband. And so here, she is going to seek his good even in this moment. But Abigail is, uh, is going to fight for what's right, even though it's hard. And that's why she's intervening with David. In fact, that brings us to the fourth thing that we see in, uh, in this passage as we think about kind of the way in which she's operating and intervening. Fourth thing you see is her tact. You notice it's almost redundant or feels redundant when I'm reading it, uh, when you read through this passage, but the, the word Lord shows up. She's talking about the Lord, but she's also referring to David as her Lord, and she refers to herself as his servant. In fact, almost 20 times by my count, those, those words show up where she's either referring to David as my Lord, meaning you're my boss, my master, someone that I'm respectfully, uh, respectfully yielding to, and she refers to herself as a servant. And so there's true humility in that. This is a wealthy, influential, influential woman who's prominent in the whole area. And David's, he's the outcast king of a ragtag group of ne'er-do-wells and kind of misfits. And yet she's deferring to him. Uh, really what she's doing is being polite. She's coming to him and approaching him with great, respects according to, great respect according to the customs of the day. Now, how different is that from the way Nabal interacted with her? When David sent his men to Nabal, Nabal responded and said, who is this David? And he knew who David was, but he was, he was intentionally belittling towards David and towards his men. Who are these men? They're probably just running away from the parents and stealing stuff from others. And so he was very rude. She's being very polite in the middle, in the way in which she approaches it. You notice it says she fell down on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at David's feet and asked for a hearing, asked for him to hear her, to, to, to hear her out. Now let me say this. I don't encourage you to, to bow down before any men in our world. I think that would get really weird. Uh, I don't recommend it at all. And, and unless Jesus comes back and we all bow down together, um, I think we probably set that aside. But the point of what she's doing is important. She was, she was coming and asking for a hearing, not telling David what to do. Uh, this woman is really sharp. Fifth, we see, we see another thing she, she, offers, she brings to this intervention is her sacrifice. You know, she says, on me, on, on me alone be the guilt. She takes the guilt. Now, that's a leader. Uh, she takes the responsibility for the team, even when it's her idiot teammate husband who's created all the problems. She says, his guilt be on me. Has she done anything wrong at all? No. And yet she says, please forgive the trespass of your servant. 
And what a, what a Christ-like response. Somebody who steps in being willing to take the blame for someone else in order to bring about their good. Uh, this woman looks a lot like Jesus, which is why I think David liked it. And she's a mediator between these two parties so that she keeps wrath from being poured out on someone who has earned it. Sixth thing we see is her loyalty. She sees her action as giving counsel to her future king. If you look in verse 30, 31, she says, Now, when the Lord has done according to my Lord all the good that was spoken concerning you and appointed you prince over, over Israel. She, she acknowledges that, that, that there's this message of, of, of God's trust on David and Samuel's anointing of David as the future king. She says, you're the future prince of Israel, meaning you're the future king. Um, you've, you've already been acknowledged as the one who is coming. And so apparently she knows that God has selected David to, to rule the nation after Saul. And she's, uh, she's also surrendering or committing herself to his kingship. In fact, in, in verse 31, he says, and when the Lord has brought about all this, then remember your servant. What she's saying when she says that is, I'm, I'm trusting that, that when you are in your king's kingdom, you'll remember me because I am one of those who, is, who will be serving your kingdom. Now, here's a question. I think all this, you know, we see all the good that she's done. I think where, where I, the question I ask as I get through that is, what drives all this for Abigail? And that brings us to the seventh thing I think we see in the way she intervenes, which is her faith. And in the passage, it says, for the Lord, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Um, Abigail sees the way in which God is going to work for David's good, and she has faith in God's hand on God's hand upon David, and in the way in which God is going to bring about the things which He has promised to David. And so, it's her faith that really drives all this. And in fact, Abigail see a very, sees a very different man from her husband. When she says, "As the Lord," when she says, "As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives," she's acknowledging David's faith. That there's something going on in his soul, and she sees God and David knit together. And so she sees them as kind of a package deal. And she sees that David is, says, she says, fighting the Lord's battles. What she's saying is, David, you're, you're fighting the right battles the right way. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep going. And so she's acknowledging that, but also encouraging David. And so in doing so, she, she also sees that, that God has sent her to intervene on David's behalf to keep him out of trouble. She says, the, the Lord is, is intervening for you, even in, in her words. And she's going to save many people from death and really save David from blood guilt, which is murder. So she's going to, through her intervention, she says, the hand of God is on me to intervene for you in order to preserve what God wants to do in your life. In fact, several times in these verses, it says that God intervened to save David. In some places, it says God intervened through Abigail. In other places, it says that God sort of directly intervened in David's behalf in order to bring about his salvation. And what we see is we don't see God directly acting in any of, any of the verses we've read so far, do we? And yet what, what Abigail is saying is that over all of this, God in his providential care and in his grace is restraining you. He's holding you back. He's intervening to keep you from, from sinning and to keep you from harm's way, to keep you from committing murder, to keep you from having a guilty conscience, to keep you from making this mistake. And so God's, protect, God's working for David's protection and keeping him from foolishness. And she says that, literally what it says is that she wanted to keep this moment from being a stumbling block of heart for David. 
doesn't want this to be something internally in his heart that just becomes a stumbling block to him operating in the freedom that God wants for him. He says, you don't want this on your conscience. You don't want to look out someday and see widows and orphans that you, uh, because you have killed these men and lost your temper. A.W. Pink says this about Abigail. He says, she pleaded with David that he would let his coming glory regulate his present actions so that in that day, his conscience would not reproach him for his previous follies. Uh, he's saying, David, really, she, she's fighting for David because she knows, David, there's good stuff God has in, in store for you. You've got a future. You've got a hope. You've got great things that God wants to do in your life. And this is going to cause a problem to that. And so for the sake of the good, the future glory, the coming glory that you have, let that be a regulator or a governor on your present actions. Let, let the future inform how you choose to operate in this moment so that when you get to that future, you don't look back with regret about your past foolishness. Now, what does Pink mean when he talks about his coming glory? Well, Abigail lists it out for David. I, I love that she reminds David of all the things, God, of who God is and all that God has promised him. And so first, she says in verse 28 that God will give you a sure house. And what she's saying by a sure house is, it says God will certainly give you a sure house, meaning that your future, your life, your kingdom, your salvation, God's going to protect. He's going to bring you about to a place of, of great confidence. She says, even when men rise up against you, don't forget that you belong to the Lord. And verse 29 is such a beautiful verse, but let me just unpack this for you for a minute. When it talks about it, it says, if, if men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, so if enemies come, if you're in danger, if you're facing hard times, this is what you need to remember. What is it she says to David? The life of my Lord, meaning David's life, will be bound up in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. Bound up in the bundle of the living. What she says is, it's like you're going to be wrapped up in God's pouch of his prized possessions. Meaning if God goes on a trip, you're in his fanny pack. Like you're something he's never going to leave behind. He's taking you with you wherever he goes. God doesn't fumble. God isn't going to give up on you. God isn't going to leave you somewhere uncared for. He's going to take you wherever you go. You're bound up in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord. And I love, I love that, that she reminds David that you're one of God's prized possessions. You're bound up by him and he's not going to let you go. And the Lord's going to carry you into your kingdom so you can count on him. You want to know how wonderful a truth that is on Jewish tombstones? That's a verse they put on tombstones to remind people that even as they have to say goodbye, that your life will be bound up in the bundle of the living and the care of the Lord your God. You can trust him with anything if you can trust him with death. Abigail Sharp, she also goes on in the next verse, and she reminds David, she actually uh, kind of drops a hint back to David's battle with Goliath, and she reminds him, the God who delivered you with Goliath can deliver you in this situation. And so she refers to his enemies, but you notice she refers to a sling. She says, in the lives of your enemies, God shall sling out from the hollow of a sling. Meaning, just like you took a stone and took down your first great enemy, God can cast away all your enemies just as far as easily as you cast away that single stone. God's still got your back. The God who was there with you in fighting Goliath can be with you now. And then she, I want to point out one last phrase. Because we all need Abigail's in our lives to remind us of these truths, but especially the, the truths she mentions. 
here at the end. She says that the part of her intervention is going to help David remind, help remind David that he cannot work out salvation for himself. See, there's a key thing in, um, in this passage that David's going to pick up on when we get a little bit later. When she's saying, David, when you, when you disobey God and try to fix things on your own, it reveals where your faith really is. That David, you're relying on yourself. You're trying to save yourself. You're trying to fix everything yourself, and you're not big enough to fix this problem. And so when we, David's going to take that same phrase, and he's going to mention it just a little bit later. But this is the, this is the word he needs to hear. This is the word that could slay his foolishness in this moment. David, you're trying to fix the problem, and God's the one that has to fix it. You realize that's the root of all sin? Uh, that we think we can do things better than God can. And one guy said the essence of ungodliness is when we presume to take the place of God, to take everything into our own hands. Friends, to, to walk by faith is to believe that God's way is best and that God's care of our lives is best. That God can handle, uh, handle our lives better than we can. Uh, what we see in this passage is that, that David has a blind spot. And he's, he's giving in, he's becoming forgetful about who God is and what God wants to do for him. And he's trying to take the reins on his own. And don't we do that ourselves? Yeah. Don't we find ourselves in places where we don't trust the Lord and we try to take the reins for ourselves? Don't we all have to admit that we've got blind spots and weaknesses, that we're all sinners? And really, biblically, that's non-negotiable. And it's non-negotiable uh, from the truth of the New Testament. It's non-negotiable just as the, the Bible honestly unpacks the lives of, uh, of the people of God like David. We see over and over the foolishness that we are tempted to, to embrace. And so that's not negotiable. What is negotiable is whether we're correctable or not. In this passage at the very beginning, it says that Nabal was worthless because he wouldn't listen. He wasn't correctable. There was no way to course correct Nabal. But what we see here is that David is correctable. David, David will heed Abigail's advice and he actually credits God and he says that God was using Abigail to restrain him from doing evil. And so he accepts her invention, intervention as the, word, as the work of the Lord. Look at me at verse 32. We'll see David's response. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to this day to me. Blessed be your discretion. Blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been to Nabal so much left with so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought to him. And he said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. David received from her hand what she had brought to him. I think that refers in one sense to the, the goods and the present and all the things that she had sent ahead. I think it also means he received the counsel. He received the truth from her hand. He accepted that what she said was true of him and he embraced it. That's, that's really the one good thing you see about David. Uh, we've seen seven good things from Abigail. One good thing we see in David's response is he listens. He yields quickly to the confrontation. That he doesn't fight back. Pride would have had him maybe fight back, but he yields to this stranger and recognizes it as a gift from the Lord. See, that's the humility of receiving grace. That he received from her hand what she had brought to him. See, to, to receive grace, you have to admit you were wrong. 
You have to admit you are needy. You have to admit, I can't fix this. You have to admit that my way is not the right way. And so you have to receive a, a different way from outside of yourself. And what we see in this passage is that proud people don't like grace. The ball was too prideful uh, to, to listen to any kind of correction. But David, one of the reasons we know David's a man after God's own heart, and one of the reasons we see that showing up here, is that he, was, he listened to, God, to correction to get him back on the right course and to, to help him to trust the Lord. Friends, it's easy, it's just tempting for us to try to bring about salvation in our own way, to think we can fix the problems that are ours and say, I can do this better than God. But what Christianity says is that we're saved by grace, that we need outside intervention. We need the help of others, but we primarily need the help of our Lord to intervene on our behalf. And not just to take care of past sin, but also to keep us from sinning. And so God's grace, it actually helps us deal with our former sins, but also intervenes in us to keep us from sinning even more. And so God's grace is at work in both of those things. And character means that you listen to others when they point out your blind spots and you actually value it and receive it as a gift of grace. That's what, that's what spiritual community ought to do for us is remind us of who God is and all that he's promised us. And so can I just reflect back on what Abigail's done for David here? She's intervened in a situation where he was, he, he was hell-bent on his foolishness to bring about all kinds of bloodshed and guilt. And she intervened in the situation. She, and it, she, she was a mediator between David and, and her husband and her family. And she speaks truth to him. She comes to him and says, David, don't blow it. You're on the right path, but don't give up. God's got a future for you that you don't want to lose. Let me remind you that God's got you and he cares for you and he's going to carry you all the way through and he's got a future for you. You and you don't want to blow it in doing that. And so, friends, as we kind of wrap this up, can I, can I do the same for you? Can I follow Abigail's example and remind you of who God is and what God's promised you? Let me ask you if you've ever heard a story or if this story sounds familiar. A future king comes to serve others in friendship and peace, and he's rejected and scorned. In the, midst of, in the midst of his offer and they send him away empty handed and yet because of that there's a wrath to come and someone intercedes and prevents that, that wrath from coming so that he, they can protect the lives of those that they love. Friends, this is a story that very much pictures what Christ did for us. Christ came to us in friendship and in peace. And yet John 1 says that he came to his own and they did not receive him. Isaiah 53 says that he was rejected and despised by men. That Christ came for us and he came to us in friendship and in peace, seeking nothing but blessing and our good. And yet we rejected him. And because of that, we were under wrath and we deserved to be punished. And yet Christ came to a rescue and he interceded for us. And there's one mediator between, uh, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the New Testament tells us. That's what Christ did for us. That's why we talk about grace. Jesus came to us and saved us when we couldn't save ourselves. He interceded for us. He mediated for us a restitution or a relationship with God that had been broken, under which we deserved wrath, but he preserved and protected us even in the midst of our foolishness. He stayed the wrathful hands in order that we might be preserved. 
Friends, let's not forget that. Let's not forget that who God is. We have a God of grace, a God who loves us, a God who promises to care for us every step of the way, a God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, a God that, like David says, and you are my prized possession, and I'm going to carry you around in, in, my, in my, my pouch of my personal possessions. You're my children whom I will never let go. And he's going to hold on to us, and he's promised us a future and a hope. And so let's hold on to him. Let's remember. Let's hold fast to our faith in, in this day and in all days until we're with him, and we know it without any doubt. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your one and only son, Jesus, to be our mediator to intervene for us, to stand between us and that which we deserved so that we might be preserved, so that we might have life, that we might have it to the full, that we might have a future. Lord, would you remind us of your goodness? Would you remind us um, that you hold us in the palms of your hand, that you will not let us go, that we can, as Psalm says, rest under the shadow of your wings like a... Um, like, like a mother caring well for her children. Father, you watch over us and protect us. Uh, that, you will, that you will guard us until the day when we are with you. Father, let us long for that day. That day when, uh, when we walk in complete freedom. Father, where we walk without having to navigate the foolishness of this life. Father, thank you for your forgiveness of sin. Thank you that while we were yet foolish, you sent Christ to die for us. While we were yet enemies, Christ came for us. While we could not earn it or deserve it, Christ saved us. Father, thank you for your grace. Help us to trust it evermore. Father, we pray in his name. Amen.